listening to Understanding Christianity. I am your host, Pastor Sean Cole. I'm the lead pastor of Emmanuel Baptist Church in Sterling, Colorado. I also serve as an adjunct instructor at Colorado Christian University, teaching Old and New Testament, systematic theology, and biblical interpretation. Thank you for listening to our podcast today. Over the next few podcasts, I want to address the issue of expository preaching. Over the past few years, I have led a conference called Feeding the Flock, expository preaching conference, uh, to pastors around the country. And I thought it would be fun to teach some of the principles and some of the teachings that I do in that training on a podcast. So this will be primarily if you are a pastor or an elder or a preacher, but I also think it's important if you're just a church member to understand the importance of expository preaching. Now, there's a lot of definitions out there. There's a lot of opinions about what expository preaching actually is, and I hope to explain and define that. But really, when I do my conference, I I, I divide it up into four main parts. Uh, The first part is called the message. We just talk about a theology of preaching. Uh, The second part we call the man. This is more upon the character and the calling and the competencies of the man of God. And then The third part of the conference we call the method. This is a 10-step method that I teach and how I do expository preaching. And then the last part, session four, is called the main event. What happens when you actually get up and you preach? And so a lot of this is nuts and bolts and geared more towards workshops. But number one, session one on the message, I'm going to probably talk about this over the next few podcasts because it really lays forth what's a theology of expository preaching, what's a definition of expository preaching, what's the benefit of expository preaching for you as a pastor and as well as for your congregation. And so let's just talk about today in this podcast a theology of expository preaching. And our understanding of preaching must first and foremost come from the truth that God is a speaking God. That's very important to start with that foundation. God is a speaking God. Genesis 1-3, God said, let there be light, and there was light. God spoke. As I go through this training, as I go through this podcast today, I'm going to give you also some resources that I have found helpful um, in preaching. And so a really good book is called Speaking God's Word. A Practical Theology for Preaching. This is by an Australian scholar named Peter Adam. It's called Speaking God's Words. And he has a really good quote in there. He says, God's revelation begins with a sermon. God preaches and the world is made. God said, let there be light and there was light. Six sermons are preached in a wonderful sequence. The word of God is proclaimed in heaven's pulpit And all comes to pass. The preaching forms the universe. The word preached is no empty word. It accomplishes what it pleases and never returns void to him who speaks. Have you ever thought about God preaching a sermon and the universe coming into existence by God's speech? Theologians call this concept the speech-act dynamic. Speech-act. God speaks and acts through words. 
Now, he could have created the world by snapping his fingers or appointing angels to do the grunt work or, or even cosmic tools of his own making. But instead, we see from the very beginning that God chose to act and create through his effectual word. Isaiah 46, 9 through 11 says, Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there's no other. I am God and there's none like me, declaring, it's a key word there, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, I will accomplish all my purpose, calling a bird of prey from the east, the man of my counsel from a far country. I have spoken and I will bring it to pass. I have purposed and I will do it. Now, I often use this passage of Scripture to speak about the absolute meticulous sovereignty of God over all things, and that's absolutely true. But I want you to to see the words used together in God's speech. God says He declares the end from the beginning. God says, my counsel shall set. God calls a bird of prey. God has spoken. So what God says, what God declares, what God speaks actually happens. The speech of God is followed by the action of God, and they're so intrinsically tied together because when God speaks, things happen. So God spoke at creation, bringing the world into being. And this gives us a foundation for really, as we start to think about preaching, what preaching is. And so as we think about the Old Testament, God speaks through his prophets, in 1 Kings 17, 1 through 2, Now Elijah the Tishbite of Tishbe in Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives before whom I stand, there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word, and the word of the Lord came to him. You often see that repeated pattern when it talks about the prophets in the Old Testament. The word of the Lord came to so-and-so prophet. So the prophet is speaking direct revelation from the word of God. He's God's spokesman preaching God's words. You think about Jeremiah. The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. In Ezekiel chapter 2, When I looked, behold, a hand was stretched out to me, and behold, a scroll of a book was in it. And he spread it before me, and it had writing on the front and on the back, and there was written on it words of lamentation and mourning and woe. And he said to me, Son of man, eat whatever you find here. Eat this scroll and go speak to the house of Israel. Preach, speak, declare the word of the Lord to the nation of Israel. Amos chapter 3, verse 7, The Lord does nothing without revealing his secrets to his servants, the prophets. So God specifically anointed prophets of old in the Old Testament to preach God's word to the people. So they were appointed men that God raised up to be his spokesman to preach to the people. We also know that God speaks through his priests. Now, that was a different class of leaders in ancient Israel, the priests. The priests and the prophets were different. The priests came through the lineage of Aaron, the Levitical priesthood. And so, although pastors today are not priests in the Old Testament sense of the role, yet we do have somewhat of a similar responsibility. We we can look at pastors today or preachers today being prophetic in their role, not, not 
equally like a prophet in the Old Testament or even in the New Testament or a priest, but the concept of what we do today is very similar to what they did in ancient Israel. So, for example, in Leviticus chapter 10, verse 11, this is instructions given to the Levitical priesthood. You are to teach the people of Israel all the statutes that the Lord has spoken to them by Moses. The Levites, the priests, had the primary responsibility in ancient Israel to systematically teach the people of Israel the word of God. In Chronicles chapter 17, you, you find the names of these priests that taught in the cities of Judah. And in verse 9 it says, They taught in Judah, having the book of the law with them. They went about through all the cities of Judah and taught among the people. So the priest would go from town to town to village to village in ancient Israel, and they had the responsibility of systematically teaching the book of the law, that would have been the first five books of the Bible, the Torah, to the people of Israel. Now, let's think about Ezra, chapter 7, verse 10. Ezra had set his heart to study the law of God and to do it and to teach his statutes and rules in Israel. Very interesting what we see here in this one passage in Ezra. We see three commitments that pastors today should have in our ministry. If we're to emulate this idea of what the priests did in teaching the people. Notice that Ezra diligently studied the word of God. Uh, That Hebrew word for study that's used there means to search carefully into God's written word. We, We would use the word today to exegete, to interpret to do the hard work of understanding what the text means, to diligently study. And then secondly, we are to personally practice God's Word. And then thirdly, we are to teach God's Word. So we diligently study it to find out what it means, and then we make that personal application to ourselves so that we are being fed by the Word of God, and we personally practice it in our own lives, and then we turn around and we faithfully teach God's Word. And notice that it says in that passage of Scripture, Ezra set his heart to do these three three practices. This word was a careful devotion. He took his calling seriously as the priest in Israel. 1 Timothy 4.16 says, Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in these, for by doing so, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Keep a watch on yourself, your personal behavior, your conduct, your lifestyle, and keep a watch on your teaching to make sure you are sound in doctrine. So as we look at ancient Israel, we see that from the very beginning, God is a speaking God. He spoke the universe into existence. He appointed prophets and priests to preach and teach and speak his word. And then we also see some revivals happen in ancient Israel. Reformation and revival happening, especially in the book of Nehemiah. In the book of Nehemiah, it's very interesting. You know the story there that God raises up Nehemiah as a layperson to, and he has this burden. He's he's saddened that the wall in Jerusalem has been destroyed because of the Babylonian captivity. And so he wants to rebuild the wall. 
And so the first half of the book of Nehemiah is the rebuilding of the wall in Jerusalem. And then you get halfway through the book and realize that the wall has been built. And so the book of Nehemiah is not so much about the building of the wall as it is the building up of God's people spiritually. There's two things going on in the book of Nehemiah. There's the physical building of the wall, and then there's the spiritual building up of God's people. And after the wall has been built, the entire congregation of the people gather together, and um, Ezra, the priest, as we talked about earlier, preaches an expository sermon in the hearing of the people. And so from Nehemiah chapter 8, you see four characteristics of the primacy of preaching God's word. And so let's, if you have your Bible, uh, turn to Nehemiah chapter 8, and we are going to see what God does here. So we're just going to look at verses 1 through 12. All the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate, and they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. So, so Ezra the priest, remember we talked about earlier, he, he set his heart to learn the scriptures, to practice it, and to teach it. And here, here he is actually teaching it. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, both men and women, all who could understand what they heard on the first day of the seventh month. And he read from it, facing the square before the water gate, from early morning until midday, in the presence of the men and the women and those who can understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. And Ezra the scribe stood on the wooden platform that they had made for that purpose. And beside him stood Mattatiah, Shema, Ananiah, Uriah, Hilkiah, and Messiah on his right hand, and Padiah, Misael, Melchijah, Hashem, Hashbanaha, Zechariah, and Meshbalam on his left hand. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people. And as he opened it, all the people stood. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. And all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. And Yeshua, Bari, Sherebiah, all those weird names, those men that were there on his right and left, the Levites helped the people to understand the law. While the people remained in their places, they read from the book, from the law of God, clearly, and they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. So I want us to see this, un, not un, this insatiable hunger for God's word in Nehemiah chapter 8. First of all, I want you to notice that in verses 1 and 2, how the people are described. They're gathered together, quote, as one man. And it was both the men and the women and the children. In other words, it was the entire nation. E even the youth and children gathered there to hear God's word preached. And, and some scholars believe it was probably 30,000 to 50,000 people gathered for this worship service at the water gate. Now, it wasn't just a few people here and there that were hungry for God's word. It was widespread. Uh, this wasn't a, a children or a youth service with a, a cool hip band going on with smoke and lights. This is the entire congregation gathered solemnly at the foot of the preacher to hear God's word. 
And notice what they do. It's interesting. They're the ones who initiate the service. They go and get Ezra, the scribe, and they want him to bring the Bible out and read it to them. Now, that's a sign of true revival and spiritual awakening when there's actually a widespread hunger for God's word to be preached. Now, can you believe how long he read the word? It says there he read the word from early morning to midday. So let's just think about this. Probably around 6 o'clock in the morning to around 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Now, how would you like to be a part of a nine-hour worship service? And notice what the text says. (laughs) Nobody got antsy. Nobody, nobody complained. It says there at the end of verse 3 that the ears of all the people were attentive, attentive to the book of the law. You know, the Hebrew language kind of has word pictures, and that, that word picture in the Hebrew language means to stretch out the ear. In other words, it's kind of this graphic way of saying they were seriously listening. They were in a state of awe and hunger. They were hanging on every word that was being read. You know, I've read a lot about revivals and spiritual awakening in church history. I have many books on my bookshelf about revival, and so I've studied this for many, many years. And in times of revival, if you read historical accounts in church history, there's not a lot of commotion or weird stuff going on like maybe what you see today. People barking like dogs and, and jumping around in aisles and being slain in the spirit. That's not what you see historically. Actually, what you see is the exact opposite. There is a quiet that comes over the people. There's a stillness. There's no fidgeting. There's nobody getting up and going to the bathroom. There's not playing video games on your phone or or balancing your checkbook or updating your Facebook page or, or checking your Twitter feed or your Instagram. There's a calmness and a quietness and an intense stillness that comes where people hang on the edge of their seat just waiting to hear from God. Because when the Bible is read, God is speaking, and God's people want to hear God's voice. Now, you need to understand what's going on here, the book of the law. Now, that's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and Deuteronomy. 50 chapters of Genesis, 40 chapters of Exodus, 27 chapters of Leviticus, 36 chapters of Number, and 34 chapters of Deuteronomy, the entire Pentateuch or the first five books of the Bible, was being read out loud, and nobody complained or walked away. They were attentive. They were hungry. Now, this wasn't something haphazard. If you notice what the text says, it was planned because they built a wooden platform. They built this huge pulpit for Ezra and these men to stand on so they could stand before the people, project their voices, and preach. Now, why list all these men on the podium with Ezra? Those those weird names. Um, I can't imagine this, but it makes me tired just to think about it. Have you ever preached or read the Bible out loud for nine hours to an audience of around 50,000 people with no PA system? It would be exhausting. Probably what happened, the text doesn't say this, this is just a guess, but they probably took turns reading out loud the Bible. So the first thing that we see here is an insatiable hunger for God's Word. Now the second thing we see here is an incredible submission to God's Word. What do the people do in verse 5? 
they stand up at the reading of God's word. Now, many churches do that. For the scripture reading, we do this before our, I preach the sermon, people stand in honor of God's word, and we stand in the, in the reading of God's word. But standing is a way of showing that you honor God's word. You're submitting to God's word. You're coming under its authority. So in this incredible act of worship and submission, Ezra praises this great God, and the people answer with, Amen, Amen, and they lift up their hands. Now, lifting up hands in that ancient culture was a sign of submission or a sign of surrender. They were surrendering themselves to the authority of what God was saying in His Word. It was a visible way for the entire congregation to say corporately, We submit. We raise the white flag of surrender to God, and we are ready, willing, and able to submit to the Lord. But not only do they stand in honor of God's Word, not only do they lift their hands in surrender, but notice the text also says they got on their faces. They got on the ground in worship. They fell face down. This was the ultimate act of submission. They were prostrate before God with their faces down as a way to show incredible submission to the Word of God. So when God speaks to us through His Word being preached, there is an authority inherent in God's Word that we must Submit to this word. As God's people, you want to hear the voice of your shepherd, and so you want to gladly come under that authority, which means that when you come into a worship service or when you listen to preaching, you can't pick and choose what parts of the Bible you want to obey and what parts you don't want to obey, what parts you don't want to hear. Because the moment that you do that, you stand as an authority over God's word. I'm very concerned that in a lot of our churches today, there is a lack of of submission to the authority of God's word. I'm not here to try to cast stones, and I'm not in a lot of other worship services, so I don't see this readily, but I I hear stories from people that visit other churches. There's not a lot of scripture reading. There's not a lot of expositional preaching. It's more a couple of verses and then a launching pad for the pastor to talk about the things he wants to talk about, stories, you know, things about uh, tips for living, how you can be a better person, all these types of things. And there's not really an authority to God's word being preached. So in... Nehemiah chapter 8, there's an insatiable hunger for God's word. There's an incredible submission. But then we also just see the importance of preaching. So um, I'll go to my grave with this statement. No period in church history or in the actual Bible has there ever been true revival or spiritual awakening when preaching was not preeminent or primary. God is pleased to use powerful expository preaching as his way to bring revival and spiritual awakening. And today, a lot of pastors have lost confidence in the power of the preached word. They don't think it works anymore to stand up for 35, 45, even maybe in 50 minutes and say, thus saith the Lord, and I'm going to preach expositionally the text with boldness and authority and clarity. 
we, we need technology and we need video clips. People are on Facebook, people are on YouTube, people are on Twitter or TikTok. They don't have the attention span anymore. We, we can't stand up and, and, and have a, a monologue where we actually declare God's word to people in an audience who are supposed to listen with their ears because we live in a visual culture where people are seeing things with their eyes. People don't know how to listen anymore. And so we have 15-minute sermonettes for Christianettes. You know, the one thing people can't get out in the world that they can get in a worship service is a transcendent experience with the living God through the word preached. So what Ezra and these Levites do is none other than expository preaching. In verse 7, it says they helped the people to understand the law. In verse 8, they read from the Bible. Then they explain the Bible, and then they applied the Bible. That, that's all preaching is. Now, I'm going to go into more definitions here in just a moment, but let's just give a basic definition. A preacher reads the Bible, he explains the Bible, and then he applies the Bible. And that's what's going on here. These Levites are strategically placed throughout the crowd so that they can do small group interpretation. Let me just give you some historical context here. The first five books of the Bible were written in Hebrew by Moses. But these people were in Babylon for 70 years, and they did not know Hebrew. They spoke Aramaic. So these Levites had to translate it from Aramaic to Hebrew, and they also had to give explanation to the text. In verse 8, we see that they explained the text clearly. By giving the sense. Literally in the Hebrew, it means to break it up, to go paragraph by paragraph, to read the text, to explain the text, and to apply the text. So here's the primacy of preaching. A man of God stands up on a pulpit in front of God's people and declares with authority the Bible. He reads the Bible, he explains the Bible, and he applies the Bible, and the people are hungry for that preaching. There's a submission to the authority of that word, and so that's what we see going on here in this passage of Scripture. Now, I want you to think about Ezra for a moment. Historically, he'd been serving as a scribe in Jerusalem for 12 years before this big moment. He'd been faithfully preaching and teaching and doing his ministry, and we don't know this, but maybe he saw some growth, some obedience, some transformation. But then all of a sudden, God moves in this mighty way, and the entire nation falls to their knees in humble adoration to God and, and begs him to come preach the word to them. Now that, that's revival and spiritual awakening. Ezra, 12 years of plodding along in ministry, just preaching week to week, teaching, praying, nothing moving, nothing happening. And then all of a sudden, God brings this mighty movement. Now, most pastors experience the first part of Ezra's ministry, the, the 12 years of labor, years and years of faithful preaching and teaching. Most of us never see revival, and that's okay. Because regardless of whether we're in a time of revival or not, God has commanded us to preach His Word faithfully. But I'm encouraged that God uses the primacy of preaching to bring about revival. Now, here's what's amazing. I think about what's going on here. There's an insatiable hunger from the people. 
They approach Ezra. They beg him to read and preach the word. They're, they're humbling themselves before God. And finally, the Bible's making sense as it's preached. And what do they do? How do they respond to this preaching? In verse 9, it says they, they wept. They cry. Because they know they've not heard the word of God preached this way before. They weep because they've been disobedient. They've been confronted with their sin. They weep in contrition. They're cut to the heart. Now, let's continue. Because right after this, we're going to see an immediate obedience to God's word. So let's keep reading verses 13 through 18. Actually, let's go back to... um, Verse 9, Nehemiah, who was the governor, Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep, for all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, Go your way, eat the fat and drink the sweet wine, and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready, for this day is holy to our Lord. And do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be quiet, for this day is holy. Do not be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and drink and to send portions and to make great rejoicing because they had understood the words that the Lord, or the words of the Lord that were declared to them. On the second day, the heads of the father's houses of all the people with the priests and the Levites came together to Ezra the scribe in order to study the words of the law. And they found it written in the law that the Lord had commanded by Moses that the people of Israel should dwell in booths during the feast of the seventh month. That they should proclaim it and publish it in all their towns and in Jerusalem. Go out to the hills and bring branches of olive, wild olive, myrtle, palm, and other leafy trees to make booths as it is written. So the people went out and brought them and made booths for themselves, each on his roof, in their courts, and in the courts of the house of God, in the square of the water gate, in the square of the gate of Ephraim. And all the assembly of those who had returned from the captivity made booths and lived in the booths, for from the days of Yeshua the son of Nun to the days the people of Israel had not done so, and there was very great rejoicing. And day by day, from the first day to the last day, he read from the book of the law of God. They kept the feast seven days, and on the eighth day, there was a solemn assembly according to the rule. So the entire nation had just gathered and had this amazing worship service of powerful preaching. They submitted to God's word. They were hungry for God's word. They want more. They want to go deeper. They want to be trained. And so the first principle we see here is that fathers took the lead in discipling and teaching their families. The head of households came together to do Bible study so they could be trained and lead their families. We know that there's the importance of fathers leading their families. So the men took the initiative to immediately obey. They knew they had the responsibility to lead their families. And what they found out is that there was a certain national holiday in the life of Israel that God had commanded Moses, the Feast of Booths. Back in Leviticus chapter 23 and Deuteronomy 16, God commanded the people to live in temporary tents or booths and to cover themselves with branches. And so the people did this. They, they responded with immediate obedience. Uh, they didn't hold a conference. They didn't debate what this might mean. They, they didn't complain that this is stupid, Ezra. Why do we go live in a week in these booths and these tents? Uh, this doesn't make sense. This is kind of stupid. No, when they heard the word of the, of, of the Lord, they didn't hesitate. God had commanded it. They were cut to the heart because it was preached to them. It was explained to them, and they could do nothing but respond with immediate obedience. 
So we see the powerful preaching of God's Word in the Old Testament. Through God speaking at creation, through God commissioning the prophets, thus saith the Lord, to declare the words of the Lord, to commissioning and anointing the priests to be the primary teachers in Israel, to go from village to village to house to house to explain the text. And then you see this wonderful example in the book of Nehemiah chapter 8, where Ezra the scribe stands up and gives a sermon, an expository sermon on the first five books of the Bible, and we see the importance of a man standing before God's people, reading the word, preaching the word, explaining the word, and then applying the word, and you see the people hungry for that word and making a true impact on their lives where they respond with tears of repentance and immediate obedience to what God says. So over the next few podcasts, we're going to kind of unpack just a theology of expository preaching. And and so this particular podcast has been on the Old Testament. Now, the next podcast, we're going to look at the New Testament. We're going to look at how God speaks through John the Baptist as a preacher. And then we're going to talk about Jesus himself as a preacher. So over the next few podcasts together... We are going to explore what the Bible says about the primacy and importance of expository preaching. And foundation number one is that God is a speaking God, and he commissions men to speak on his behalf through his written word so that we would respond with a hunger, with repentance, and with obedience to the authoritative preached word. Well, thank you for listening to Understanding Christianity. I'm so thankful for all my listeners. You can go to seancole.net to get more contact information. You can follow me on Facebook and on Twitter. If you would like to request me to come be a speaker at your church or at a conference, I'm more than happy to do that. Just reach out to me and I can look at my schedule and see what the future holds. But until next time. Would you sit under sound expository preaching and would we all keep our eyes fixed on Jesus?